Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Pittsburgh Steelers just celebrated with their anniversary of forming on July 8th, and uh, we get to talk to one of the great collectors from the Pittsburgh area of Pittsburgh memorabilia. He has some items that reflect back to the history of Art Rooney before the Steelers and Pirates. Derek Crawford's coming up with his collection in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another episode where we get to go down memory lane and look through that portal of football history to talk about some great items uh, in history. And we have a collector on tonight that uh, has a a subject matter that's uh, very interesting to me and to many of you. It's some uh, Pittsburgh football history. And uh, long before the Steelers, some of it is too. Uh, His name is Derek Crawford. He joins us from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, Derek Crawford, welcome to the Pigpen. Darren, thank you so much for having me tonight. Yeah, Derek, uh, very interesting, uh, your collection. I I saw you on our our mutual uh, VFC forum that we both belong to and I've been following some of your your items that you you chat about and you collect and uh, you got some great stuff. But before we get into that and some of the history behind it, let's learn a little bit about the history of you and how you became uh, a collector of uh, and a football fan of the Steelers and collector of some of the mementos. All right, great. Again, thank you. It's great to be here tonight. Uh, uh, I was seven years old, and I, it was shortly after Super Bowl Thirteen. The Steelers had won their third Super Bowl, and a family member put into my little hands a pack of 1978 football cards, and I was just hooked. I opened those cards up. I found not one but two Steelers cards, obviously grown, born and raised in Pittsburgh, one of the Steelers cards, got two of them. And then uh, looking on the back, I noticed that they had numbers on them. And I said, well, wow, this is really awesome. There's a lot of numbers here. You know, and it made me want to collect all the set to see what this was about. And that started my collection, collecting journey. And uh, born and raised uh, in Southwestern PA in a little town called Periopolis. Uh, and, and just would then take, and when I got older enough to ride a bicycle uh, into our local town, I would save up all the money I could for mowing grass or birthdays or what have you, and, and uh, buy as many 25-cent packs of football cards as uh, the pharmacist at the pharmacy there would allow me. And uh, so I would, I would cart them home, and that was like the joy of my life was then that evening, just opening all those packs and looking through all those cards, building the teams, and just relishing knowing that it was complete. And it, it was so awesome to know that I had every card for that, especially the Steelers, for that given year. 
And uh, it was just, it's just been a, a lot of joy as you get older. Uh, when my years later, I think a lot of people take a pause uh, in collecting to do little things like go to school and get married and stuff. And because, you know, when you're married early, it's more important to buy a couch than a football card. You kind of have to put that hold a little longer, but then it comes to a point where you get to a, a settling point and that's when I got back into it. And then I noticed that there was this entire realm of of items that had to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers football team and the NFL. And I just got hooked in literally every aspect of that. And it got not just to be a collection of items, but really a collection of history and wanting to, to know more about the team and collecting and understanding the history of, of what Art Rooney, uh, uh, you know, visualized and built through his life. The parallel of, of what you're saying uh, reflects a lot of what I'm saying. And a lot of my guests, the same thing, it usually starts with those football cards and from those those mid to late 70s. And they they were magical. And, and everybody sort of has the common thread. You know, it's it's almost like Christmas. You have that package and you don't know what's in there. And you open it up and you're surprised. And first thing you look at, you know, that big picture on the front and then everybody flips it over and you look at those stats and the little cartoons always got me too. I loved some of those things. Things, you know, with the little drawing they would have and, you know, some historic uh, something would, you know, about the player that was interesting, you know, a little fun fact, I guess. And uh, I, I thought that was always cool, too. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. And, and as you know, we all knew the gum was terrible. So I think I stopped chewing that gum when I was like 13. But, you know, <laughs> you wanted to read the facts of those cards there. And, I, and just like you, it was like, you, you got to truly learn more about the player that you would never get to hear from the TV or maybe if you were, you know, blessed enough to be able to go to one of their their games or something to meet, maybe meet a player before practice or what have you, you know, you couldn't do that. So the card was that 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 way to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very interesting. Now, you were talking to me earlier and you were telling me a little bit about your, your collection and you have sort of a mission to your collection. And uh, I think and, that, and that's also a common theme for collectors. They sort of have that bucket list or a mission they want to accomplish that, uh, that you're running to that finish line with. Why don't you share a little bit about what your mission is? Sure, Darren. Yes. When when you get and and you said it perfectly, it is just so true for so many collectors. And and you 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 become a fan, and you are a fan of your team. But then you become a fan, and at some point, for some of us, you you get to see this whole line of history. You, you get to see this beautiful bunch of history that has every different era in it. And you want to learn more about that and, and gobble up everything you can from that team. So what I've tried to do in our in our in our game room, my wife's rule is you can do anything you want, Derek, in the game room. Just don't have it come upstairs. So I've lived to that, Rita. <laughs> but that hole downstairs is the total Steeler zone. Uh, so on on one long wall, I, I have tried my best to put together a, a chronological history of the Steelers football team from the earliest days of the Sandlot football team in 1919, all the way through to the present and trying to get milestones. Like, uh, you know, what were the Sandlot teams, uh, original photos of the Hope Harvey, the majestic radios, the, 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 the JP Rooney's football clubs before then he bought the license in 33 for 2,500 bucks to become the Pittsburgh pirates football team, as we all know. And then, you know, they went through, you know, beating his head against the wall to try to get a winning season. And then 1940, you know, 
he needed to do something. And they said, well, let's get a name change here. And that's when they did that, uh, that, uh, that uh, vote, basically, they, they had it. And uh, the Steelers name is what was settled on. And so it's just great to find that, okay, well, what's the first ever program? the first ever ticket stub with that Steelers name on it. And, and it's not just to collect those things for the sake of having it, but it's to have that integral needed vital piece to show that total history. So, so you almost have a, a timeline of, of images and mementos to say, okay, at this point in time, you know, 1919, here's what Pittsburgh professional football was. That was uh, Art Rooney was associated with and, yes. you know, and right up, up through the years that, that's very cool very cool no, darren yeah it's, it is fun and, and you know what it's great to collaborate with uh, other other fans and collectors like yourself because we all get it we we cherish this stuff it's not it's not that this photo is worth a dollar it's have you have you seen this photo <laughs> and do you see where it fits in that timeline like you're saying that's what's important and it's just really great to to just uh, treat it almost as as semi-sacred because you were able to find that that missing piece of that one timeline history that, that makes it all come together even more completely. Wow, that, that is really neat. But let's let's talk a little bit about the pieces uh, themselves. Now, you might as well start at the beginning. You you said you have some uh, pieces of the collection from 1919, and if you could yes. tell us a little bit about it and maybe some history that you know about it. Yes, sure, sure. Um, th- there was recently a find uh, in in the city downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, an early lady who was uh, a relative, uh, and and many people know of this uh, this sale because it went to numerous places there. Uh, but from that uh, came some photos, uh, and then there was a friend of the family that said, "Well, oh, you know what? I think I had a relative who had that. He was uh, for his entire career after football uh, a, a city policeman in the city of Pittsburgh, a man named Sweeney." And he did an amazing job. He kept a lifetime notebook, a, a journal book, a scrapbook of all of the games, the photos, the teams, everything that he had ever played on through all the Sandlot teams of Pittsburgh and into some of the early uh, years of uh, professional football before he decided he, he got tired of getting banged up and uh, went into the police force to get abreast, he said. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty neat. Uh, but uh yeah, so 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 one of those was a, a 1919 photo, one of the uh, few original photos of the Hope Harvey football team. And as many listeners who who know Pittsburgh history uh, well, I uh, will attest uh, the 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 Harvey was the name of the doctor who patched the guys up for free, and Hope was the uh, area of the uh, the where the firehouse uh, was, where they actually were able to suit up and, and use a quasi you know base of operations. So that's where that Hope Harvey team came. And then it was great because a, a, a young Art Rooney, if you can envision this, what late year teenager has the chutzpah to think and actually put together an organization, run it, where he owned it, ran it, and played as a player on the team and then got his brothers involved in it. I don't know what got this Rooney family going, but they're amazing. You find out about these these men and women in that family, and they're just amazing people. So, so, so Art Rooney actually 
uh, played on this Hope Harvey team, not just yes. owning it and organizing. He actually played on it too. He sure did. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't seem like it lasted long. And there are others who have this history better than myself, because I myself am trying to piece this together. But but shortly after that, he became more of the full time manager organizer to help kind of set up where the, the the team would play and against who, and and to really try to bring popular uh, you know uh, attention to the game of football in Pittsburgh. As a, as a semi-pro team, these these things. So so eventually, it got to the point where the Hope Harvey team did well enough that for one year there was a, a, a radio store in downtown Pittsburgh that sold majestic radios, and I was able to find actually advertisements uh, from that year. So in 1929, they actually became uh, the majestic radios for for possibly one, maybe two seasons, and I was able to find in Sweeney's book uh, a wonderful original photograph where he uh, had the entire team and staff pictured. And then he wrote all of their names next to each of the players. And it's just such an amazing piece of history to see that Uh, because, but then what happened was, is uh, there was enough attention. I guess they felt they didn't need to get so much of a backing anymore that James uh, Art's brother, James P Rooney, uh, he was going to go into politics because the, the the fight was on in another arena, and that was to work to repeal the blue laws. So they said, well, let's just name this the James P. Rooney's football team. And then that is uh, another uh, original photograph that I was able to find that, that shows that entire team with Art and James standing there on the side there uh, just uh, with the team there around it. Uh, it was also neat to see uh, – then that it was just before then he bought into the NFL in 1933. So this is around 1931, 1932. Very, very cool. Now let me just put an editorial note in there for the listeners, just so they have some perspective. Now, if if we go back and uh, we remember some of our other discussions, we've had listeners at night, mid 1920s, we had a couple teams from Pennsylvania. We had the Pottsville Maroons. We had the Frankfurt yellow jackets, uh, they, between the Great Depression and the NFL wanting to be in larger cities to have more revenue because a gate, that's where most of the revenue came from, and in the Pennsylvania Blue Laws, which not, would not allow them to play on Sundays, the, the Maroons and the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets sort of skirted around that somehow and did play some Sunday games, but uh, we won't talk about that right now. But uh, 1933, the the they sort of knew that the NFL knew it was going to happen. Uh, Art Rooney, Burt Bell, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles and, and the pirates, which became the Steelers both sort of knew it was going to be repealed. So 1933, the Steelers and Eagles got franchises, but that uh, rule did not come in, uh, get repealed until the middle of the season. So actually the beginning of the season, they played all road games. I believe the, the pirates did. So, uh, Kind of interesting. So 1933 was a big year for Pennsylvania. We got back in the NFL game. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Darren, no, thank you for that. That, that, that's, that, that's, that, that totally gives the picture of why it was so important for them to try to get those blue laws repealed uh, because they wanted to get uh, an NFL team. That was, you could see it in his, in his machinations of these early Sandlot teams. He wanted to be a part of that bigger system. And I, I guess that's then what obviously he developed a friendship with Burt Bell and, and other men in the league there, uh, Carr and some of the other ones there. And, uh, t- Tim Mora uh, from the, the Giants. and Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's yeah. just a, what an amazing wild west of football time, though. I mean, it's just that, that, that that's also fascinating to me. 
because there there were no rules. There was no real path forward. They they just took a pickaxe and made the path, and it's it's just it amazes me. Yeah, there there was uh, some interesting characters in there, and, and aren't Rooney? There there's so many stories. I talked to a lot of historians. Uh, I've I talked to a man named John Stephen Hagen, whose great grandfather was Leo Lyons. And Leo Lyons had a similar story to where Art Rooney was. He started a Sandlot team in Rochester, ended up becoming the Rochester Jeffersons, who played in the early NFL. He was at the original 1920 meeting in, at the Ralph Hayes Hubman Bill showroom. So he's one of the original franchises. Well, they disbanded in the mid 1920s, but uh, no, uh, John Steffenhagen, his great grandson, has some things that he brings to meetings. And one time uh, last year, he brought a tape measure and he said, Darren, you're going to be interested in this tape measure. I said, really? And he has a little glass case I'm looking at. It, and I said, I said, why, John, what's the significance of this? He goes, this was Art Rooney's tape measure at one time. I said, really? I said, how did Leo get to Leo was sort of a, a almost like a pack rat. He would go to people's places or, uh, you know, he, he, Took, he has a telephone from Ralph Hayes' uh, Hubmobile showroom somehow. I don't know how he got it, but he got it somehow. <laughs> Supposedly one that Jim Thorpe had called people on to organize, help organize the NFL. Anyway, oh. this tape measure, Leo Lyons no longer has a franchise. He's down there visiting his friend, uh, Art Rooney. They're having one of the first games in Pittsburgh. And it's before the game. And uh, Leo, the story goes, Leo is asking Art Rooney, hey, can I get some, a memento of this game? Me coming all the way down here to watch your game, Art. And he's like, I don't, he goes, I don't have anything to give you. I, I We're just starting out here. I don't have anything. And one of the workers comes up and says, Mr. Rooney, here's your tape measure. We just got done lining the field. Hands him this, this oh. tape measure. And Leo grabs it and says, I'd like to have this. He goes, yeah, sure, Leo, whatever, take it. Now, imagine what this is now with the story behind that. That That's kind of a, a cool piece of history that uh, that John has. It's really a neat thing centered around Art Rooney. Oh, that's incredible. I had never heard that story. Darren, that's amazing. That is so cool. That is yeah. excellent. Wow, just to see photos of that. If you ever see, just to show me a photo of the of the tape measure, that'd be so awesome to know the history of what that marked out. I'll see if I can get one for you. I'll, I'll contact John and see if we can get a, co a copy oh, of a photo to send on you. That's, that's neat. So, okay, let's get back to your collection, though. I mean, you, I mean, this is, this is really awesome. You have these, uh, you know, three or four teams that uh, Art Rooney was uh, associated with, you know, prior to the NFL team of, of the Pirates and Steelers. So you were telling me about you have uh, some pennants of, uh, you know, when Pittsburgh was in the NFL, and maybe you could talk about some of those and the significance of them. Sure, Darren. Yeah. And, you know, you, you take that natural bridge, if you would, from football cards into the whole plethora of other things. I got my first start in game programs and game ticket stubs. And I said, okay, you know, 1933. So my goal is, uh, I've uh, won at least for a home game program and ticket stub from every year from 1933 to the present. Uh, obviously, they stopped making tickets there. I, I cried that year, so no more, no more paper tickets to <laughs> right. hold my grubby hand anymore. But, uh, uh, but, but from that chronological history, you could see the same thing in pins, buttons, and pennants. And I always love pennants. In fact, pennants are honestly, I think one of the the nicest things I love to collect because it just it just shouts out to you uh, sports history and in those pennants you can see from the figurals even the fonts you can see what each of those decades brings and so uh, 
so those early 40s pennants are, are incredibly uh, fun to see for that reason. And as you know, then the war years ravaged the NFL. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of uh, disruptions there. Uh, uh, team members obviously wanting to, to rightfully take their place in the services. And so they joined with the Eagles in 43 and the, the Cardinals in 44. And, and I have what is very few known to exist, uh, a pennant of the, of the Pitt Cardinals. And, and you can say card pit, I'm totally okay. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but this pennant says pit cards, 1944, right on the pennant. Very with a beautiful 1940s figural there, super rare. So it just really just place marks that place in history there. I also have some uh, accompanying buttons and pins uh, from that same year, uh, just with pit cards. They didn't do it for the Steagles, but I guess there was enough uh, going on again with the way the war was turning out by 44 that that they were, you know, kind of putting a little more effort into those types of things. Wow, that, so, that's a, extraordinary. Now, I got a couple of comments or quasi questions uh, about that. Now, I, I would assume, um, I, or I would think that our pennants would probably be extremely rare from, you know, where we're talking almost 70, 80 years ago, because the materials used in them being, I'm assuming felt, was what they were yes, made of. Yes, and that's is. sometimes yeah. more more uh, apt to deterioration and sometimes even paper and cardboard is. And uh, I would expect that, you know, that would probably be really rare to find those things. Yeah, Darren. And, and when you do find them, they, they usually are heavily, heavily damaged. So uh, unless you find folks who are hurt like us, who at an early age just learned to cherish any object uh, dealing with this amazing sport we've gone to love, you know what I mean? You, you're going to find it uh, moth-eaten, yeah, you know, soil and stain damage, uh, just just oxidation uh, degradation over time. You're going to get that whole gamut. So a, a lot of the pennants have also been uh, just um, uh, they've been trimmed and cut and hacked apart for various reasons. Who knows? And and you know what I mean. So to to get those precious few that have made it through the fire, so to speak, is is really uh, an amazing find. Uh, yeah. But again, it's it's not. It's it really truly is the intrinsic value of saying, "Oh, I got this more pristine piece to put in its rightful place in this timeline." Not it should sell for this at this auction, you know what I mean? Or for my wife right. gets tired of me and throws me out in front of a bus and wants to sell it all. You know, it, has, <laughs> it really has nothing to do with that. It's it's that 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 timeline that you hold as sacred. That, that's you know, awesome. Yeah, I guess my other comment on on the pennant, and we talked a little bit about before we came on, and I I told you that uh, my friend uh, Joe Ziemba, who's been on this program many times, and I talked to get the opportunity to talk to him quite a bit. He's wrote uh, two or three books on on the Chicago Cardinals and Chicago Bears mixture, you know, some of those years. But I want I wonder if the pennants that were sold in Pittsburgh say Pitt cards. And because he's from being from Chicago, always refers to him as the card pits or the carpets, as many people like to call them. Uh, and I wonder if they did that for uh, maybe a marketing value. You know, if we're in Pittsburgh, we're going to put Pittsburgh first. And if we're in Chicago, we're going to put Chicago first for this merged team. I wonder, that'd be interesting. I wonder if they, that's, uh, I'll have to check with him, see if he has a pennant. I bet you he probably does. You know, Darren, that would be wonderful to see. And again, uh, that's something that would just be awesome to see a photo. But in over 20 years, I've only seen four of these pennants ever come up. Wow. And they all had that pit cards with the 1944. 
So no if there is something like that, that I just haven't been in the right place, right time. But, you know, after a while as the collector slash historians, it's a weird combo. I know most people were in either one camp or the other, but I kind of, I'm a strange bird. I have a foot in both places. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you, uh, I just haven't seen it, you know what I mean? And, and but I, and I've looked at a lot of options. I, I, auctions. I might be incorrect. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to find out. I'm going to do some research after we get done oh, here and we'll, we'll try awesome. to do it. And I'll try to share anything I have with you. Cause it's kind of interesting if they yeah. did do that, that'd be kind of cool. To you know, know. There's a gentleman in Texas who uh, he's wanting to retire here in a few years, but his name is Rick Haskins. And he is probably one of the largest pennant dealers in the country. Really? And uh, he also would be a resource. So, you know what, Darren, I'll reach out to him and ask him if he is known of any variations of the World War II uh, Steelers pennants. Okay. Yeah. That'd be kind of some cool history to evolve here and uh, recapture. Probably people knew about it back in the 40s, but, uh, you know, we probably lost some of that knowledge somewhere along the line. No, exactly. Like, like, look at all the stuff that was sold at Forbes Field over the years. I mean, just uh, amazing stuff that was put into the stands, you know, for the spectators there, the, the pins and buttons and little fun little gadgets and toys for kids. I mean, it's its its, it's own uh, history timeline, too, if you would. I mean, look at the programs. You get to see the beautiful way that they that advertisers and marketers looked at promotion of items in the 1930s, 40s, definitely the 1950s, how it kind of really started to change in the 60s and then the 70s with modern photography. It's just I, that, that's what. So when you look at all this stuff in one big long line, you get that whole picture. And that what I think is the icing on the cake, just to sit there on your couch and stare at that timeline. Yeah, I- I love some of, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen any of the Steelers uh, programs or, or ticket stubs that have this, but I know like some of the Pitt Panther, some of that vintage artwork, uh, and you see it in some of the the high school programs of some of people I know that have some of those in their collections, but I really like um, back in the, the 20s and 30s on the ticket stubs, they had sort of the art deco, uh, like of a stadium like Notre Dame stadium and have some art deco on, or I think Pitt has some of those where, you know, they'll, they'll have some of Forbes field or Pitt stadium, just some art deco, really cool, uh, you know, tributes to what's going on as the backdrop. And I'm like, my gosh, his artwork's beautiful. You could hang it in a museum. It's, it's uh really, really beautiful artwork and uh, some very talented people back then. No, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. They're, obviously because it predates the Steelers, uh, my programs from the, the teens and twenties are, are with the university of Pittsburgh. And because I try to then follow who would later become as well as a timeline, this rich timeline to try to add to it, all of the key figures, coaches, players that came from those teams and eras right before the yeah, team. Like the J- Jock Sutherland's. Oh, oh, I have, yeah. I have a, a beautiful uh, 1927 program uh, from Pitt and Penn state where every one of the pit teams, including Jock Sutherland, who has pictured himself on one large page, uh, every one of them has signed it. Wow. It's just real, but just to see the history of it. And obviously, as you know, then he later became a, a coach for, for a time. So yeah. uh, Jack Dowd's uh, got an original photo of him when he was at William Jefferson uh, uh, College here. And uh, in his, uh, he had the executioner mask helmet on as a player. <laughs> so very few photos of him as a player or even as his one year stint as coach for the 33 pirates football team, you know, so, so, but you, you try to get those things in the twenties and teens that kind of led up to, to this team that way too. 
Wow, very, very cool. Now, you you talk about some of these pins that uh, you've seen and that you've collected. Tell us about some of the pins of the Steelers uh, that are in your collection. We'll start again with 1944. Okay. Um, one of the earliest known pins uh, was from the, the, and I'll say it for the your friend from Chicago, the card pits uh, team, <laughs> and, and it has the button there that says Pit Cardinals. Uh, in, in there, and obviously uh, 1944. So it's interesting too that it was one of the few years, uh, definitely before, but even 15 or so years even later, where they for some reason chose to put the date on it. It's just very interesting. Is uh, that 1944 year is very interesting? Uh, then you get the certain pins like through the 70s. Uh, few people know that you'll see a lot of the the four original Super Bowl wins for the Steelers. 9, 10, 13, and 14. They'll have the nice buttons. But uh, Rick Haskins and other folks have, have educated me <laughs> to let me know that they're actually beautiful flowing ribbons that are like 10, 12 inches long that were actually affixed to those buttons in some of the, the uh, iterations of them. And, and it's just uh, really neat to see, okay, because th that's part of the timeline too. I, I don't want the, you know, I mean, the, 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 the piece of the part, I want to see what was originally sold from that vendor inside or outside that stadium to the, to the, to the, to the game goers of that day and, and then, and then seal that in history. So, so that's what I've done as well. So, so in two large uh, shadow box cases, I have a, a chronological history of those pins and buttons of the team from the 1940s to the present. For the for the Steelers as well as the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, now, was there a was there a progression in the size of those pins? I I know in the seventies, like the, you're talking about, I I had some pins and they were probably uh, probably three inch diameter pins. You know okay. that were, uh, you know, I guess uh, painted on or silk screened on or whatever. But I know some of the earlier pins probably have a more interesting texture and and size to them. Yeah, yeah, the the pins definitely did get larger through the years. Uh, the pins that denote the the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it almost seems like um, the, the, there were more pins in the 40s and 60s that were in the one to two inch diameter size. In the 1950s, it's interesting, Darren, it seems to me, now Steelers focus now, so, so if this is another NFL team, then I, I obviously it's outside of my knowledge base, but it seems that there are more patches made than there were actual metallic pins than the 1950s. Is that weird? Interesting. interesting yeah. It's interesting. So, so like it's patches you would sew onto a piece of a garment or a jacket Correct. or a hat or, or something. Correct. Yeah. And if you look back at the 1950s, everybody watches happy days. I mean, you can see the jackets and the letterman. I mean, I can almost see that patches would have been in vogue at that, that decade. That was right. the, the awesome, I think it's probably one of the greatest uh, uh, advertising artwork, historical decades in the United States history. And I think that it's just interesting that they kind of took that approach. Um, there was a, another uh, uh, collector uh, member uh, of the of the group that we are all part of, BFC, that that uh, lives in the Philadelphia area. Obviously, then a very large Eagles collector. He came across a gentleman who who went to a large warehouse, a dusty old warehouse in in Ohio, that had a bunch of a large industrial sewing machines in it. And off in one corner of the room was an entire uh, pile of old templates. These templates were for the NFL football teams. 
Really? They were roughly three foot by four foot or two and a half by three and a half foot in, in total uh, size. And th- it was the exact uh, blueprint for the small patches that were made. And there's a very well-known football-shaped uh, patch from the 1950s of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was able to find that for the Steelers. And he found the one for the Eagles. And we we're both able to get those from that gentleman who owned that warehouse. Wow. And then I found a, a duplicate of that patch and I kind of had that framed together with it to show what the product looks like from the 1950s based upon that original blueprint. That is really neat. Huh? Yeah, it, it's, it's history. It's yeah. it, the in that history because you, you, it's a, it's a one of one in that regard, but it shows you mm-hmm. look at the thought in the way in which that was made to produce that type of a product. Right. Yeah. There's only probably one tool that made all those, you know, probably millions of uh, patches and, and you have the tool and a representation of what it produced. So very cool. That's a great display. I'm sure. Oh, thank you. And then you get in the 1960s and it, and it kind of transitioned again and then there were patches, but, but not as many. The sixties brought about the plastics era. So you saw two things come to, to come to height. Uh, you, you saw uh, stickers uh, truly become a thing. Late 50s, but really the 60s is where stickers really became known. And, and forgive me, I know you know this, but it's just kind of neat to see then how these things change. And then the pins came back. <laughs> the metal pins, uh, they, they came back in force. And then the 70s just blew up and they, they went from like, you know, two inches in diameter to three. And sometimes I have some large uh, six, uh, six inch diameter, you know, City of Champions pins that, my goodness, I don't know where you cover your whole shoulder to wear it, but uh, at least they know what it said. Uh, you were, you were a team fan for sure. You know, you, you just brought back a fond memory of me when you mentioned the stickers and the pins together. And I, I was, uh, I'm the oldest of my family. My, my next in line is uh, two and a half years younger than me, my brother. And he was a big fan as I'm, you know, watching the Steelers and all this going on. He was a little bit younger than me. So he was into, you know, Snoopy and, you know, things like that. So you know, Christmas, we had some interesting things. So he would had a pin of Snoopy and I got a sticker, a nice round sticker of the Steelers with the emblem on it. And I said, boy, I need to find someplace cool to put this on. I said, Oh, I'll take this Snoopy uh, pin and I'll slap the sticker on her. And my my brother couldn't find his pin for the longest time was mad. And then my parents finally figured out what I did. And, you know, I, I I caught hell for it, but it's just, uh, just fond memories. This, these conversations, I love this kind of stuff. And it's probably bringing some memories back for some others that are listening uh, too, that maybe had some pieces that you're talking about or familiar with them or, you know, some, somebody they had you know, knew had them. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Very cool. No, it is fun. And Darren, uh, yeah. And, and what's nice is because then, then in the the sixties and seventies and, and the NFL was trying to market itself at that time. And that's when it, I, I think the true marketing explosion occurred. So that's where you see that, that, that really awesome, again, that timeline. So I have different shelves for each decade that shows, okay, this is the NFL merchandise with a Steelers focus of the 1960s. So if we just talk about that decade, that's when you started to see ceramic figurines, bobbleheads. That's when I got into bobbleheads. So guess what? I have two large wall cases that give an absolute uh, timeline of every Steelers bobblehead made from 1960 to the present and wow. every variation of those bobbleheads. Why? Because I want that timeline. I don't care about the value I, money. It's, it's, it's what is that timeline? 
how do you see that progression go as people and marketers develop these things? It's fascinating. Yeah, so definitely. Wonder, I can send you some photos of some of this stuff there and yeah, you can join please. my wife in saying that I'm insane. It's, but it's a, it's a nice crazy yeah, I love that. If you if you have some photos you could share with us, I'll post them because we always put an accompanying post on pigskindispatch.com and listeners, you can find that by going to the show notes of this podcast, take you to the links and hopefully you'll see some uh, images of uh, some of Derek's collection here that he'll share with us to have some enjoyment uh, at home and you can view it on your phone or wherever. Now, you talk about the bobbleheads. Now, there was, uh, you know, they sort of have uh, for a while, they sort of had that generic bobblehead that every team had that little, like little boy face with the, the helmet on. So I think we're all familiar with that, but they also had some specialty bobbleheads out there. Did you get into some of those specialties? Like when they had players and things like that, do you have some of those in your collection? Yes. Yes. And and it's interesting. Um, you didn't really see uh, the Steelers have individualized players uh, until the actual 1980s. There are maybe one or two, but very, very rare from the 1970s, but most of them are from the 80s. And again, now remember this, uh, where other teams did have more, like they had more, they had called them lifelike faces in the bobbleheads of the 19, uh, late 60s. The Steelers team was not one of the ones chosen because they were, they were kind of the, you know, they were pathetic. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, yeah. It's 40 run history of absolute failure. But, right. but you know, other than that, it was that. So, so it was interesting that the market focus wasn't put there. But, but I'll tell you that 70s then, the championship years, that exploded. So by the 80s, I think two things. Is then it, it kind of transitioned away from NFL licensing to the NFLPA. Then the certain players association members, if they were okay with it, they would license that bobblehead to be made. Interesting. So it's just interesting to see uh, how that all plays out, but but you're absolutely right. But you didn't see that until uh, really the eighties and definitely the nineties. The nineties is when you started seeing individualized players from the seventies, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, to commemorate those guys from that era. Yeah, because that's when uh, people like uh, you and I were uh, becoming uh, adults that had uh, steady incomes and they could sell things and they knew that uh, we'd be nostalgic and want those things like we do today. So it's uh, it's, uh, some great stuff. Wow. Very interesting. Okay. Now, if you had to, uh, we have somebody from a foreign country that you meet and they don't know anything about National Football League or collecting vintage football things or the Steelers or anything, but you had time to show them one item in your collection and tell them something about it. Your, your prize piece that uh, sort of is the example of your collection. What, what would that piece be? A person that doesn't know American football, but if you had just one thing to show them, I, I guess it would probably be one of the early Sandlot team photos because just tell them what, what, what began it all or maybe even some of the late 1800s uh, uh, Harper's Weekly magazines that actually were the first to ever show the game of football. And they could at least see, because everybody knows a photo, they see other human beings. They they, they might know whatever those sports are that were indicative there, whether it's soccer or or cricket or what have you. But I guess I would show them, I would show them the Hope Harvey photo from 1990. That sounds like a great, great choice. No, okay, you mentioned the, the Harper's Weeklies uh, from the 19th century that you have. Now, are those talking about uh, collegiate football? Or because I, 
we had, we had professional football start, but it was sort of uh, covert, uh, you know, until recently in, in, in late uh, 1892, I think is when Pudge Heffelfinger was first paid, but we didn't know that till like 1980 or something like that. But uh, yeah, amazing history there. I'll tell yeah. you all the rigmarole that went on there. But yes, this was absolutely what I try to do is it, for, for things that are outside of, of, of the Steelers, you, you get a love of the history then from the Steelers then, right? to mm-hmm. the game of football itself, the NFL, and then what would, what actually led up. And there's this whole Wild West scenario, right, that led up to the NFL. So with that said, what I try to just focus on is what is the first national publication that first printed the word football and some associative graphic? And then what was the first time that the game of football was actually highlighted on the front page of said periodical? And at that okay. time in the 19th century, as you all know, uh, it's Harper's Weekly. <laughs> uh, that's amazing that what the print run is. And, and they're very incredibly affordable and they're not too, too difficult to find. And so I was able to find those two pieces. One just uh, not so many years after the Civil War, I think 1867 was, I think, one of the first ever times that they mentioned soldiers playing foot hyphen ball. In parentheses. Okay. I was just going to ask you that because there seemed to be uh, journalists and, and writers didn't really have a, a set way to put football. And sometimes it was all one word like we know it today. Sometimes it was two separate words. Sometimes it was hyphenated like, like you're talking about. And you, you see examples of that, especially those, you know, 1880s forward to, you know, 1910, you know, that even you see some of that. It's it's fascinating just the study of the word football, how, how it was yeah, uh, read. Yeah, Aaron, yeah, and let, just let me say too, that this is absolutely not a focus. So what I believe is one of the earliest one, it's, it's from a list of other folks who have been older collectors in this area for many years but i am certainly not trying to say that that is the earliest one but i thought that the earliest one that i could find was around that 1867 uh to wow. just that is but but it translates then into other history it's obviously newer but first i try to get the first ever pro bowl game and ticket stuff program and, and ticket stuff the the first super bowl ticket did, stuff. Did, did, did you say 1867 because 1867, yeah, for for that photo in Harper's. But I meant many years later in the 1900s, the 20th century is, I just try to then say, okay, outside of the Steelers, for this entire NFL type of timeline, what are the firsts that I can try to collect? Like the first, like I said, the first Super Bowl, the first Pro Bowl game, the first Rubber Bowl game in 1942. People don't know much about that between Hmm. the Cleveland Rams and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, there was right. a rivalry before with Cleveland well before the Browns existed, but most right. people don't know that, you know, and then it goes into the first of, you know, what is the first meeting of the Browns and the Steelers? I have the actual exhibition game from Buffalo, New York in 1950 when they played each other. I mean, hmm. that, that's the history. You want that timeline. You're saying, okay, I, I've heard about it, but what is the physical representation of that event? Yeah, that's that's extremely fascinating. Now you you might really have something if if you have one in Harper's Weekly that we're talking about football in 1867. I mean, just think about that in perspective. 1869 was the first intercollegiate game of uh, Princeton and Rutgers, and that's the first time football was played between colleges. And it was really a soccer game at that point, you know, 1876, 1880 is when sort of the line of debarkation where. Uh, our our game 
derived off from uh, you know, rugby and, and association football, which is soccer. So, I mean, that's, that's really something if an American publication is talking about football in any think, term, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Please don't quote me on the date, but it was in that time frame. It's in really, that that's yes. Yeah. Anything in that time frame. that's, that's extremely very interesting. So, wow. Spectacular. Well, Derek, we really appreciate you, you coming on here and talking about your collection and, uh, you know, taking us some um, memory lane, talking about some history, preserving the football history. And we thank you for preserving football history by saving these pieces uh, too, from, you know, they could be in a garbage pile somewhere or not exist and be dust somewhere. But the, uh, you know, folks like you, that are taking care of these and uh, being great caretakers of the, the history of the game. We love much appreciated. And thank you for sharing with us tonight. Darren, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Loved it. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.